0: you are a woman leader but you lead regardless of your gender for you being a woman is both critical and unimportant
1: hey everyone and welcome to this episode of leading the rounds before we get started i want to give a quick congratulations to shreya desai shreya is the latest winner of our book giveaway and won a copy of atul gawande's being mortal it's one of my personal favorites i know caleb loved it too so shreya we hope you enjoy the read atul gawande is a great writer And without further ado, today we have a very special episode planned for you guys, and I'm not just talking about our guest. We're joined by Alicia and Charlotte from the podcast From Skirts to Scrubs. They explore what it means to be a woman in medicine and in their own lives. Each of their episodes focuses on topics from medical history to current events, various healthcare professions, female healthcare pioneers, and much, much more. By analyzing these different areas in healthcare and history, through a feminist lens, they hope to create a space to explore what it means to be a woman in medicine while having some fun along the way. We're really glad that they joined us for this episode. Today's guest is Dr. Stephanie Fabian. She serves as the Penny and Bill George Director for Mayo Clinic Center for Women's Health and the Director of Executive International Medicine. Her passion lies in women's health, particularly treating women in their mid-lives. She's tackling the needs of these patients as a pioneering researcher in women's health, where she and her team established the DREAMS database that harbors over 7,000 patients. She serves as the medical director for the North American Menopause Society and is a staunch advocate for improving education and awareness among medical professionals of the nuances of treating midlife women. These are only a few of her accomplishments, and we hope you enjoy this very special episode with Dr. Stephanie Fabian. Welcome to Leading the Rounds.
2: Hey everybody and welcome to this episode of Leading the Rounds. We're joined today by From Skirts to Scrubs and Dr. Stephanie Fabian. Charlotte, how are you doing today?
3: Good. Alicia, how are you doing today? I'm great. Peter, how
0: are you?
1: I'm doing really well. Dr. Fabian, thank you for joining us. Um, first of all, how are you doing today?
0: I'm, I'm great. Thank you for inviting good. me. Happy to be here.
1: Good. Now now that we're all good, um, why don't you start by giving our our listeners a brief introduction to your leadership background and how you found yourself to be a woman leader in medicine?
0: Wow. Okay. That's a that's a long question. Um, well, my I guess my leadership background. My my official titles are I'm professor and chair of the department of internal medicine uh, at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, and my leadership journey probably started. Um, I would guess about 10 years ago. And and I will preface this by saying that I was a single mother of three children and uh, raised three young girls and did not engage much beyond getting to my job and getting home and taking care of my kids until my youngest child was in middle school. Um, And then I started, um, you know, saying yes to things and and, uh, joining the committee when asked and writing the paper when offered. And uh, as you know, I turned in things that, that were higher quality, um, I got more opportunities. And so the offers kept coming and that led to leadership roles. And so I, I uh, ended up leading our women's health clinic and then ended up from there transitioning to leading our executive and international health program. And from there taking this role and I also have a national role as Medical director of the North American Menopause Society, and I lead our Women's Health Center. It's that I'm the um, Penny and Bill George Director of Mayo Clinic Center for Women's Health as well. So leadership roles lead to other leadership roles, I guess is my, my explanation for that.
2: I'm wondering from you, Dr. Fabian, but then also from Charlotte and Alicia, how has being a woman and being a mother? You mentioned that you're a mother of three girls. How has that prepared you for um, being a leader and what maybe qualities do you think that has instilled in you that has helped you uh, lead in your research and lead at Mayo Clinic?
0: That's a a good question. That's the first time somebody has incorporated the mother thing into the leadership question. Um, I I will have to say that being a single mother of three children um, absolutely honed my organizational (laughs) skills. to, to the nth degree. Um, and you know, when you talk about um, um problem solving for three squabbling children and um and you know change management, um, there, there's a lot of that in, in being a parent, truly uh negotiation skills. Um, so so I think, you know, I, I mean I'm joking, but I'm not joking. I mean there's lo- there's truly a lot of real life experience there. Um, I I will, um, you know, I will give you a quote. So I was asked, I I have an executive leadership coach now who is, um, helping me understand what my goals are, really what I want to look back on my life in the end and say that I did that. I spent my time in the way that I would want to spend my time, which I think is a great question for all of us. And part of that exercise was getting some of the people who are close to me to, um, reflect on me so to describe me and so one of my good friends said this was her quote you are a woman leader but you lead regardless of your gender for you being a woman is both critical and unimportant and so I thought she's exactly right that pretty much nailed it um, because I am who I am I I I don't, you know, I wouldn't know leading as a man, right? So I, I, I am who I am, and I lead authentically, and I think that's what we all have to do. But at the same time, being a woman is not important when I'm leading a team, so it it, it's, um, it doesn't factor into my thinking. And I think at some point we will not be having the conversation where we're talking about women leaders. Um, we're just going to be talking about leaders. And so that's the way I have it in my head, um, that it really doesn't matter who you are. If you're not authentic to yourself, you're not gonna be a good leader and no one will follow you. And the definition of being leader is people are following you. Um, So I guess that's that's the way I would answer that question. I see Alicia nodding.
4: Yeah, I'll just jump in because I'm clearly, I can't hide my facial expression. So this video is gonna be really funny, but (laughs) I completely agree. I was thinking, I love that quote from your friend. I think that is so accurate because we – I don't think about my gender on a day-to-day basis. I am existing in this space, and it's the only space I've ever known. But my approach to leadership in that same vein has nothing to do with my gender. But I could see potentially that it's based in my personality and the traits that I bring to the table and how I lead. And that is rooted in my development, which I've developed as a woman or a female identifying person. And so in that way, I could say, sure, these like being a woman has changed the way that I lead, but it hasn't, it's not in this intentional way. And also being a medical student and being um, at the beginning stages of my career, leadership looks really different for me now than I expect it will. hopefully, down the line. I would hope that I could progress and mature and be the kind of leader that I want to be. But right now, we work with what we have. Um, And so I think my approach to leadership is being, like Dr. Fabian said, authentic. And I just love that you said that because one of my mentors, one of my favorite um, physicians in medical school right now, her motto is to be authentic and real. And I just think that's so valid and so important So I really appreciate you affirming that.
0: Well, and and you just have to follow your values because your values aren't going to really change between now and 20 years from now. You're still going to be following your core values, which means your leadership skills may be better, but your alignment should still be the same. So I I completely agree with that.
3: Yeah, and then I was going to say, like becoming a leader as a woman, I thought it would look a lot differently, I guess, going into medical school. Like I was expecting... Um, a lot more pushback, I guess, for being a woman, especially after like the pre-med experience of people like questioning why you're going to medical school and just kind of like not getting as much um, appraisal as like maybe male counterparts. But I have found in med- medical school that's not really the case, which is like a good surprise. But I do think it's also part of the pandemic we're living in because, like I said or I've mentioned that um, we're completely online for medical school right now. So it has taken away the whole social aspect of medicine for beginning medical students. And so we don't really get to interact with people, which is where we would experience differences in being a male versus female student. So right now I just feel like a medical student, like my gender has not impact how I feel learning medicine, like it might've otherwise, but I don't know. So Currently, my role as a leader in medicine, I thought it would be influenced by gender and it has not, if that makes sense. And I'm not sure if it's a byproduct of being online or if that's just how it's meant to be, um, too. So it's kind of confusing, even for me, I would say.
0: Well, it's good that you haven't noticed it. that. That would be a good thing, right? So what do your male colleagues have to say about this, Caleb and Peter?
1: Well, I, I would say that, honestly, I'm, I'm surprised by the answer because as, as someone who is very much um, given privilege in the way that he was born, raised, looks, feels, and identifies, um, I would have thought that being a woman is something that would have been part of your leadership identity. And I, I think it's it's a wonderful, surprising perspective that all three of you brought to the table um, because it's not something that I would have ever considered. I think as far as being a male, a white, straight male in leadership, I feel like um, I haven't really had to consider my gender either. Um, so I guess we can take that for what it is. <laughs> um, but I also feel like I haven't been challenged in the same way that you guys have potentially been challenged on your path to where you are
2: now.
0: Caleb, what about you?
2: Yeah, no, I appreciated all all three of your answers. And um, similarly to Peter, my thought process with with that question and with this discussion was that by being a mother and by being a woman, you've had different life experiences that have allowed you to develop different character traits than Peter and I would have. And so I would believe that those character traits would be unique to you versus unique to me. And so um, that's that was my thought process going through that.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if it's necessarily character traits, although we we individually all have our own personality um, uh, traits that we bring to to these roles, right? But I think um, women have different communication styles than men, and so we are, are typically more narrative in our review uh, when we talk, and, and men are, tend to be a little more factual. Uh, so sometimes that is associated more with leadership than with a more um, narrative and sometimes empathic um, uh, way of communicating. and But I have to say that, that the, those traits for women um, often serve them well, right? So uh, I think you can take advantage of the inherently female characteristics that we may bring to, to leadership roles. Um, we may be viewed differently, uh if we have more male traits. So if we're more direct in our communication, that's going to be interpreted in a different way. And we may be termed bitchy or whatever. Um, you know, it, it may be a more pejorative term um, for the same trait uh, if you're a woman. Um, but, but again, I think at the end of the day, you just have to be who you are and you can't make yourself into somebody that you're not. Um, and then use use the skills that you have in the best way possible to lead. So we all we all have different things that we've been given um, some are inherent traits uh, some are learned um, and those that are learned can probably be modified so that so that if you have something that's particularly off-putting to people you can change it um, but on the other hand uh, you know go with who you are and cultivate that the, the skill set that you have uh, right, rather than trying to change yourself into something you're not
1: I love that you brought up communication specifically um and and you said how women have a more tendency to be narrative and empathic in their communication i think one, one of the things that caleb and i see constantly with all the leaders that we we identify or we um interview is that they always bring up empathy they bring up empathy as the key to, to fixing burnout to building highly high performing successful teams um, and i think this is a trend that's happening going forward in the 21st century and I think it's fascinating that it's your one, you're picking up on it too. And and I, I'm, I'm thinking back to an interview with the interview that we had with um, Dr. Allison Van Dyke, and it reminded me a lot of, of a lot of the ways that women are actually more suited for leadership than men. And they have their own strengths to play into that serves them better as a 21st century leader. So I'm wondering, it's a very long winded intro to my question. Over the past, say five or 10 years, have you seen any differences in yourself in the way that you've led your teams?
0: Uh, Oh, oh, for sure. Yes. Um, I have had to train my listening skills um, and I, and I tend to um, my first reaction is to hear a problem and try to fix it. Um, But that is not necessarily what needs to be done. Sometimes the problem just needs to be aired um, and people need to be heard and they need to come up with their own solutions. And so um, taking a pause, uh, making sure that I hear and understand the question and then, understand what people want to see as an answer or a solution, or if they've even thought about it, um, it is important. So I I think, uh, yeah, over the last 10 years, for sure, I've cultivated my listening skills quite a bit. And that goes for my own children, too. (laughs)
3: Um, I actually had something to add to when we were talking about what it's like like to be a woman in medicine. I was just thinking it over as we um, continue to discuss. I just wanted to bring up the point and maybe like Dr. Fabian, you'll have anything to say about it. Is that i was saying like, okay, the three of us are saying that our gender is not affecting our leadership roles. But Alicia and I's podcast is about what is it like to be a woman in medicine and like, how are all these things play into it? So I was like, oh, these are kind of like juxtaposing. Now we're saying two different things. So I was thinking a little bit deeper about it. And I came to this conclusion. And I want to hear your thoughts on it of it's not so much of being what it's like to be a woman in medicine, but it's about how the world's interacting with you as a woman, whether that's history or social constructs or just being given the space to speak um, is all like the different parts that are going to play into how you experience um, being a woman in medicine. I wonder if you have felt that or seen that or have anything else you'd like to add to that statement.
0: Well, I I think that's a really good point. And the fact that I'm here talking with you means that this is still somehow an oddity, right? Um, So as a department chair, uh, as a female department chair, there's there's fewer than 20% of us in the country who are female department chairs. So it's still enough of an oddity to where we're having these conversations and people look at it and go, oh, oh, that's unique. Um, So I think we still are not at a time where this is like a yeah, no big deal type of thing. And I hope in another 50 years that we won't be having this conversation about why what's different about this. You know, and I, I think there's still some barriers at, at the top because you know, I even see in my role as an executive health provider. Um, I see a lot of female CEOs and I see female CEOs of fortune 500 companies and I see what it's like for them to interact um, with their male CEO colleagues. And I had one woman who came to me in a panic literally because her knee hurt and she didn't think she was going to be able to get on the golf course with her male colleagues. And she said that would just be terribly crippling to me um, in terms of not being able to socialize in the way that she needed to. And so I still think those types of conversations um, bring up the point where there are still some barriers in terms of uh, there's not a lot of us at the top to make us socially normal. um, And we still have to sort of exist in, 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 um, in environments that, aren't inherently comfortable all the time. Uh, and so we have to put ourselves in, in these situations and uh, and you know try to interact in a way that seems normal to us. So in other words, we, our male colleagues aren't coming to the spa and hanging out with us, right? So, and you wonder if in 50 years, the conversation would be, let's go to the spa and <laughs> talk about it rather than let's go on the fly fishing trip. Um, so I, I think I think those
1: uh, those conversations are changing. I'm not, not going to lie. That sounds kind of nice.
4: <laughs> I actually also, so based off of what you're saying, I'm wondering, you're saying that 20% of, uh, there's only like a certain number of department chairs that are female identifying at this moment. And something that I think I think about and maybe Charlotte and I both, think about is um, this idea of, okay, as a woman, you can work your way up. And once you're in a position of power, you can do a lot more to elicit change. But it sounds like that's also not necessarily the most effective way, or it is one way. But I'm wondering what your opinion is on other approaches that can be taken maybe from a more bottom-up level um, to help increase, you um, just female empowerment within the field of medicine, and then also tackling some of these gender disparate issues that are seen in academic medicine.
0: Okay. Well, let's make sure we unpack that. Um, so I, I think that you're saying addressing it from the top versus the bottom. I I think from the top, I I think the conversations start to change, you know, when there's not just a single female on a panel or a committee or, um, and then that we start to have a voice about, um, who the next leaders are. And so I can tell you even in in my own um, departmental meetings, when we talk about hiring chairs and uh, there's a conversation about every single one of them. Now, every single one of them, we are having a conversation about do we have the the right person for the job? And we're not just picking the next white male candidate. Um, Now, if, he's the right person, then he needs to be in the job. Um, but have we considered all the possibilities? And so I, I, and and it's not just, you know, my buddy over here needs a job, and, and we should hire him because your buddy looks like you, right? So we need to make sure we're not just going off um, somebody that somebody knows, because we're likely to interact with people who look and think like we do. So Again, and what I, what I keep telling our group is if we keep doing things the same way, we can't expect a different result. We have got to do it in a different way to get a different result. And so we have to rethink how we are cultivating leaders, how we are um, uh, engaging people that we wouldn't have ordinarily, um, have we passed over some people for leadership development that shouldn't have been passed over or maybe weren't ready to engage at the time that we Try to engage them before. So, those are some of the things that that I'm thinking about from the top. But from from the bottom up, I I I am very encouraged um, by your generation. I really am, and seeing this in my three daughters as well. It's it's not it's not entirely fixed yet. Um, And and, you know, as my as my uh, 24 year old electrical engineering child uh, just got hired at a, a major corporation. And I said, great. You know, how many are in your electrical engineering division? Oh, there's about 40. How many are women? Um, I I think there are two, but one may be a secretary. Um, And so, you know, I think it's still, there's still some gaps here um, and the pipeline is a little leaky, especially when it comes to leadership. Um, And there's a number of reasons for that. You know, women might opt out, uh, for childbearing for a, a little bit of time and then re-engage later. I will, uh, and I think this is a key point. Um, women have a different trajectory than men do in terms of leadership development and academic promotion. Uh, it tends to be a lot slower initially and tends to speed up whereas men have a, a trajectory that can go straight up. Women will often sidetrack a little bit and then re-engage later. So it's a later, um, uh, peak, if you will. And it, that was absolutely true for me. Um, so I, I had not written a single paper, not one, not ever, not one until um, nine years ago. Um, and then, you know, wrote some hundred papers in five years. Um, so it, it really, I, I think as women, you have to give yourselves permission to jump out and jump in as you need to. And it's okay. Um, that you have to give yourself permission to do that so and that's men too so it may not be the right time for you to excel on your pathway um but that doesn't mean you can't later and so don't think that there's some cutoff where um it just stops and you don't have any opportunities after that that's absolutely not true so things you can do yourselves things you can i i think any opportunity that you get you need to be paying it forward Um, so I, I've really, um, taken that to heart. And if you're climbing a ladder, you better be bringing two or three people up it with you. So instead of pulling yourself up and pushing other people down, you better be pulling three people up behind you. So that's kind of, that's kind of my rule and and making sure that everybody that you're helping is helping somebody behind them as well. Um, so I, I also think that mentorship and coaching, um, are incredibly important and sponsorship actually some of my uh, most helpful, my most helpful sponsors, if you will, were male. Um, so a, a man who opened the door for me and introduced me to the people that I needed to know to, you know, do whatever it was, get on a committee or a writing panel or whatever. Um, but it was the, some of the, the best help that I got was from my male colleagues. Um, so I, I think no matter what your sex or gender, um, you can, you can help others. Um, exceed excel in their
2: pathway as well. Going off of the bottom up perspective, medical students are now fifty percent or more female. Um, a statistic I read the other day. So, do you think that you know over time this problem will just fix itself as as now we're you know h- half of doctors will be will be female, or do you think there needs to be more in addition to just having more doctors in the field in order to um, have more women in leadership positions?
0: No, that we were 50% female when I was in medical school. So um, so that hasn't really changed. Um, so I think there's still a leaky pipeline. Um, you you still have the problem of women falling out um, uh, of the workforce altogether. We're uh, out of the leadership pipeline in the middle. And so uh, they, they call it the broken rung with the leaky pipeline and there are a number of reasons for that. again, some of it stepping out to um, take care of family. Um, but again, I think uh, for women I would just say, you know, you don't have to step out entirely. You can stay in just a little bit and even just a little bit of engagement will put you ahead later. But even if you do, I mean I, I did entirely step out. Um, I did nothing academic for a good 10 years while I was raising my children. So you know you have to go with what's important to you and your own priorities, and and don't be apologetic about it. But it doesn't mean that you're you're really um, changing things for your future. You can still jump back in.
1: I think that calls back to what you were saying earlier about being authentic.
0: It, exactly. Exactly. But, you know, I would, you know, looking back, I probably could have done a little bit without fully disengaging for 10 years. um, And it would have made it easier. But uh, yeah, I think, and, and, you know, make your, make your wishes known. So if you say, okay, now I'm ready, you you need to engage people and say things are different. Now, please ask me if you you have room on the committee or whatever. Um, And also be your own advocate. I think, um, don't just wait for people to put stuff in your lap. You know, if you if you just wait for that, it probably isn't gonna happen. And, and if you are interested in something and passionate about something, go tap somebody on the shoulder and say, you know, can you teach me more or is there something I could do or how can I get involved? But don't wait for it to come.
1: That kind of gets me thinking about um, my future a little bit when I'm in a position of leadership and I have people that I'm training and working with. Um, and I'm wondering, kind of like what what does that look like as someone who had to come back into the workforce like how did you go about asking for help and then what was the help that you received that really helped you get back into it from the perspective yeah, that, of like effective mentorship for women
0: yeah that's very interesting um yeah I so I to be clear I never left the workforce I still worked full-time I just was out (laughs) my kids (laughs) um so the the thing that actually happened was um i i got called into our professional development person i forget what the title was at the time um but she called me into her office and she was for our our department and and she was in charge of professional development and said why aren't you doing anything (laughs) i said good question and she said well what would you do if you could do something. And I said, well, I'd probably, she said, why don't you write a paper? Okay, fine, write a paper. What would you write it on? Well, it'd probably be this. And and she said, okay, well, who can help you with that? And I named a name and she literally picked up the phone and paged the person and said, will you help match up her on this paper? And she said, yes. And I was, there you go. <laughs> that was literally all it took. And I just needed somebody to open a door um, and and say you know I will help you just get started, um, but then after that it, it just rolled rapidly. Um, so I I think it took somebody came to me actually I didn't go to them, um, but I think for anybody who who would be interested in getting back in I think you you know whether it's a supervisor or a colleague or somebody who's on an interesting project that you want to get involved in. Um, or it's a national society that you want to um, engage in a little bit, um, never, never underestimate the importance of your national colleagues. Um, I, I think that's been one of the most rewarding aspects of my entire career is getting to know a large network of, of colleagues um, nationally. And wow, has that come in handy so many times um, in terms of, you um, collegiality, I mean, for example, I have a group of national colleagues that we talk every Wednesday night now. Um, So we've been in COVID and isolated. We haven't seen each other at conferences in the last year. And this is my close friend group. And so we just said, all right, well, let's meet every Wednesday. So we have our our, our national colleague girls group um, every Wednesday night. Uh, so I can't, I cannot under, you know, I can't overemphasize, uh, the importance of these groups, um, uh, both professionally and personally.
3: Okay. I just had one quick question, kind of going back to how you're saying, how you took time off, um, to like raise your kids and the leaky pipeline. And one thing I was wondering, cause I've heard a lot more talk about there need to be more support for men to take time off to care for children, um, I know that in the last month for all the people who have lost their job because of the pandemic, I think 80% of them last month were women. And I got in this conversation with my mom about how women are always the ones to be like, it's okay. I'll take a step back and stay at home. Like you keep your job. And I guess like, what do you think needs to change in like medical culture and academic culture within medicine that gives men the chance to be able to step back and take like a fatherly role? And why is it always women having to step back and like, how can we support men in not having to have such a direct leadership path, so that theirs could be more fluid as well.
0: Well, I think I think the first question is, um, you know, it's often not that women are forced to do it, but women want to do it. They want to take care of their kids, and and so the question it, it would be the same for men. And for men, if you if they if they want to take the time off, they should be allowed. And I know that more institutions are developing paternity leaves and that sort of thing. And I think it's, it's much more mainstream now than it used to be. But I think part of these are gender roles too, you know, and, and you're not going to change those overnight and nor, nor do necessarily men or women want them to change, right? They still may want to have that mom or dad role um, and and they may not want to, to back out or they may want to back out. And, And so it may be congruent with, with what their goals and values are, right? Um, but how do you change it? I, I think we just need to stop assuming that the parental role falls to the woman, right? Um, that we, we are all capable. And I think more and more as time goes by, that's what I see happening, which is, I think is wonderful. It's not the traditional roles anymore, um, but we just have to keep advocating for those policies that will support that.
2: As we start to wrap up this conversation, I wanted to ask you, if you were to think back, About your time as a medical trainee in medical school or in residency, what would you tell yourself about um, women in medicine and about gender issues um, if you could go back and teach yourself something, or what should medical students know and take from this conversation?
0: You know, I think the biggest thing, and I'm not sure it's just has to do with women in medicine or gender at all, um, but. I I think lose your self-limiting beliefs um, because a lot of the barriers that that were there were probably of my own making. Um, And so I think uh, you you need to first get out of your own way. Um, And I think that's true of a lot of us. If we say, no, I can't do that because really, uh, really can't, you know, because every time I set some kind of goal for myself, I grossly understand it. And so it, it was something that, you know, I, I said, I'm going to be, you know, full professor. I, I didn't even think I would ever be a full professor, ever, ever. You know, I was like, oh, five papers, I don't I can't do that. You know, we're going to, every goal that I set, I kind of blew out of the water and figured out later that I had I really under undercut it a little bit. Um, and so I, I think, again, remove self limiting beliefs, um, talk to people who, and, in, in, your your mentors you you won't just have one and you don't just need one because mentors can only they're they're often good at one thing like development of leadership or a research measure or whatever but you probably need four or five mentors so seek those out um but i guess those are those are the parting words peter what do you have to say
1: <laughs> i see you're picking up on our little strategy um <laughs> no but uh I wish that um, mentorship and coaching was something that we could have gotten into because I know that uh, coaching is becoming a hot topic and people are starting to distinguish between the two. And I've actually built in a a coaching system for myself here at my medical school. Um, But I think that's a conversation for another time. I just wanted to close this episode with the question that we ask all of our leaders when we come and interview them. What has been a couple of the most influential books that you've read in your life?
0: Oh boy. Wow. Well, I just read cast, which I thought was wonderful. Have you guys read that one yet?
1: No.
0: Uh, It was on the cast system in the United States. Uh, It it was excellent. Um, And the Underground Railroad before that. And so, um, so those were good and have helped me look at um, how, how we sort of frame race in, in this country and how we got where we are uh, and it really makes me kind of rethink um, how we think about it going forward and then biases that we that we have uh, are, are so strange in their origins that it just kind of makes you wonder how we got here so anyway those are the two recent two recent ones that I have liked I've read a lot of leadership books that are good um, they're all kind of different and they can take different approaches and I can't say one is better than another. Um, but, uh, I think, I I think, uh, those, those that help you understand yourself are, are the most, uh, uh, insightful.
1: Well, thank you for your time, Dr. Fabian. Uh, we really appreciate you coming here and we really appreciate Alicia and Charlotte for joining this conversation with us. I think uh, our listeners really appreciate their perspective as well.
2: The other half of this interview with Dr. Fabian will be on From Skirts to Scrubs next week, airing anywhere you find your podcasts. Thank you, guys. Thank yeah. you. So that's all for today. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening to this episode of Leading Rounds. Hopefully you were able to learn something new and get a better perspective of how we can improve as leaders. If you like our content, please subscribe and follow. We work to put out a new episode every other week. You can also contact us and connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at leading the rounds or email us at leading the rounds at gmail.com. See you next time on leading the Rounds.